0: We are in the middle of this series that Pastor Hojin kicked off two weeks ago, um, and the word "bless," um, one for each finger on your hand. The B stands for begin with prayer. Um, Pastor Hojin led us to write down the names of people in our lives for whom we want to pray to know the love of Christ. And I want to tell you that I have I have just been thrilled by the increased prayers that I'm hearing for people we know and people we love to come to Jesus. And those of you who gave us bookmarks on that Sunday um, of people that you wanted us to join you in praying for, those bookmarks have been prayed for by about 10 or 12 people now, and they're continuing to go around. If you didn't give us a bookmark with the names of people that you're praying for, at the welcome table, there are the handouts, and there's a a bookmark where you write down and tear off and give to us, and then on the, the second one, you keep for yourself. And, um, and I've just been thrilled with, with the, the number of prayers and, and the emails that are going around of people saying, would you pray for my mom? Would you pray for my dad? Would you pray for my sister? Would you pray for my coworker So we begin with prayer. Secondly, um, Beth Severson was here last week, and she talked about the L side, the L which is listen to God for people and listen to people for God. And so the second Um, habit that we want to inculcate as we're talking about evangelism at Cornerstone is we want to listen really well. And so Beth told us lots of stories of just hearing a nudge from the Holy Spirit and being courageous to follow that up as she listens to God and then as she listens to um, people around us. So we're up to the the middle sermon, the third word, um, letters E, and it stands for eat together. And as I was working on the talk for this morning, I realized that I don't really want this to be a series at Cornerstones about evangelism, and here's why. Evangelism is something we do when we think of it, and then we don't do when we don't think about it. And I don't want our prayer for the lost people in our lives to be occasional. I don't want it to be when we happen to think about it. I don't want our listening to God for people and listening to people for God to be every once in a while. I don't want this to be about evangelism that we stop and start. I really pray that this series is going to be about missional rhythms in our lives, habits that we weave into our lives so that for the rest of our lives, these things are, are part of our week. Part of our, many of them will be daily habits, but, but part of our, our habits of, of really missional living. And so um, one of the reasons that we chose this series is because um, part of our church vision is that we would be a church without walls and that we would invite others in to encounter the love of Jesus. I don't want this to be occasional. I want this to be so much woven in that, that every week we're interacting with others to invite them in to know the love of Jesus. So um, so there are the five of them that we'll be focusing on. Next week will be serve with love, and then the final week is share your story. All right, so I got the fun um, theme to talk about. How many of you like to eat? Behold the power of food. All right. Um, if you like to eat and if you like food, if you like just kind of sitting around with other people and enjoying them over a meal, this is going to be a really easy missional habit for you to weave into your life. Um, It's interesting, leading up to Easter, we had the whole series on fasting, and there's a lot of significant stuff in the Bible about fasting. When you look for it, though, there is tons more significant stuff in the Bible about sharing meals together. The Old Testament feasts and festivals that God demanded that his people do, Many of them are about having meals together and having celebrations together. When we look at the, through the Old Testament, we find out that conversation after conversation that are really significant happen over shared meals. And then when we come to the New Testament, we see that constantly happening, not just with Jesus. We're going to talk about an instance with Jesus, but not just with Jesus, but throughout the rest of the New Testament. Um, Emperor, Emperor um, Hadrian complained about the Christians that they were subverting the Roman Empire through their hospitality and love feasts. Having meals together was so much woven into the fabric and rhythms of the early church that it subverted an empire. And when God wants to, when Jesus wanted to invite us into the depth of friendship with God and communion with one another, he invited us to come to the table of the Lord's Supper there is so much in the scriptures about the power of food and the power of meals shared together. And so the, um, the episode or the instance in the scriptures I want to share with you is in Luke chapter 19, um, and it is about Jesus having a meal with Zacchaeus. Now, I checked earlier this morning with the children's workers because we share the message with them before this. Um, when I was a kid, we sang a song about Zacchaeus in Sunday school. Did any of you sing a song about Zacchaeus in Sunday school? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. All right, so there are a few of us that remember this song. But when I was this kid, I would sing the song, and I always thought it was so cool because, you know, we were little, and so was Zacchaeus. All right, here's how Luke talks about it. He talks starting in Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. Those of you vertically challenged know this. I'd be jumping up like this to see over old... there. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. And now that they, it doesn't tell us in this text who that is, but it's a reference back a couple, verses er, a couple chapters earlier to Luke 15, 2, where Luke tells us that the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. So Luke picks up, he says, when they saw it, they all grumbled. Again, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood And said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So I want to share with you four things that I see Jesus model in this episode that ties into our living missionally. So that evangelism is something that we tack onto our lives, but it's woven into our lives. And the first one is that Jesus was available to God. Now, we know this when we read through the Gospels. We know that Jesus said it was, his food was to do the will of the Father. Okay? We have a pretty good sense that Jesus daily would make himself available to God. It's interesting, Luke chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. This is at the end of a travel narrative in the Gospel of Luke. Previously, Jesus has set, Luke tells us that Jesus set his, face, his faith, set his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem. Knowing, because Jesus told his disciples three times that he knew he was going to Jerusalem to die. Yet he resolutely sets his face to go to Jerusalem. And Jericho is the last city he is going to pass through before he goes to Jerusalem and the cross. Think about that. He was 26, 27, 28 years old. So the age of a bunch of you here. Imagine God telling you to go to New York City because he wants you to die for other people in New York City. And what it would take for you to stay on that focused mission. Jesus made himself available to God. And because he made himself available to God, he was alert to opportunities that came his way to make a difference for the the kingdom of God. So I would like to challenge you with a missional rhythm in your life, a daily missional rhythm. I would like to challenge you to wake up every single morning and say, Jesus, Jesus, Use me today. I dare you to pray that prayer every day. Jesus, use me today. Whatever that's going to be, Jesus, use me today. Normal habit in my life is when I my eyes are my eyes are open, and usually as soon as my eyes open, I'm thinking of 12 things that you know need to go on because I wake up really fast. Um, I try before I put my legs over the bed to pray. Good morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, use me in any way you want to use me today. If you will make that a habit of the rest of your life, you will be astounded at the ways that God will do just that, use you for the advancing of the kingdom to make the world a better place. Second missional habit I see in Jesus in this encounter is that Jesus was attentive to people, it's kind of strange. We don't know the backstory. There's no Facebook that Jesus could have typed in before he got to Jericho, you know, Zacchaeus, to find out that he was a short business guy who was probably a crook, and he liked to climb. There was no Facebook. We don't know how Jesus knows. Maybe it's a divine thing. It probably doesn't matter. But Jesus knew this man by name. Jesus was attentive to people, and he had a habit of being attentive to people. Jesus had a habit of being in a crowd and calling people out and drawing them close to him and caring for them and ministering to them. Jesus was attentive to people. And I think that is a missional habit for our daily lives, that we would be always alert trying to figure out what's going on. We come into a crowd, we come into a room of people, and we try to sense what is going on in each individual around us. If you've done a one-on-one meeting with me in the last six to eight months here at Cornerstone, if you've done a one-on-one meeting with me, you don't know it, but you've been part of an experiment that I've been running on you. And the experiment is this. About eight months ago, I sensed God really call me in, in just clear terms to trust him more ruthlessly in everything and to love people more attentively and more boldly. So if you've done a one-on-one, you may not know it, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how do I pay attention to you and to your heart and to your soul and to your life and to your desires, your spiritual gifts? your How do I pay attention to you to love you boldly in the name of Jesus? So guys, if I've met with a cornerstone man Over these months, in the back of my mind, no matter what we're talking about, I am thinking, how do I get this son of God, this son of Adam, this follower of Jesus, how do I get him to love honor in every area of his life? How do I get him to love honor so that, so that he confesses his sins, so that he stands up courageously for the things that he's supposed to stand for? In the back of my mind, I've always been thinking, how do I get you to love honor? It's a, it's a very interesting Greek word that's way more used in the Greek world than it is in the New Testament. And it's a quality of a person who is making his entire community different because he has a love of honor. And can I say this, guys? I have those of you I've met with, and then I'm just looking at you here, I am in awe. I know that we're all flawed, but guys, I'm in awe of your desire to figure that out in your life, in your generation, in this culture. And if I've met with you um, as women here at Cornerstone, you don't know it, but in the back of my mind, I'm trying to pay attention to your heart and to your story so well that I can reflect back to you your truest self and your greatest beauty and grace in the world. Because, women, nobody is ever coming after you to do live the life that you're supposed to live. There will be never again the beauty that you are and the grace that you are in the universe. I just want you to see that and fall so much in love with your truest self that you live that out in the world. That's what happens when we start to become attentive to people, and um, and I've been learning some things along the way, just a couple that I'd I like to share with you. I've learned that the more attentive I am to people, the more I love them. If they're just blips on the radar of my life, then they come and go, and it doesn't make any difference, but the more attention I pay to people's hearts and souls and stories, the more I have a love for them that is sometimes, very honestly, sometimes I'm a little bit embarrassed by how much I love the people in my life. I just am. Um, One person said to me that I stare at people with love. And that's kind of mushy, and I don't get it, but it is. All right, I've learned that the more attentive love I give away, the more I have to give away. When I'm focused on me and my agendas, my love shrinks. It's sort of like the Grinch. His heart shrinks, right? The more I pay attention to God's people, to the more that I pay attention to to those who are not yet followers of Christ, the more love I have to give them. I've learned not to try to love any two people exactly the same. And we watch that with Jesus. Jesus loved Nicodemus a certain way. He loved Martha a different way. And he loved Mary Magdalene a different way. And he loved Zacchaeus a different way because every person is this unique creation of the glory of God with the image of God imprinted on them. So I think that Jesus was a master of paying attention and loving people the best way that they can be loved. I, um, I've made a few mistakes I've figured out along the way, but I'm kind of sorting through, even though I don't like making mistakes, I'm sorting through that if I'm not willing to make mistakes, I'm probably not willing to grow in love. So there'll be some mistakes and that's okay. I found that it doesn't matter what people look like. It doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't matter gender. It doesn't matter ethnicity. It doesn't matter how rich they are, how poor they are. The more I pay attention, it doesn't matter, the more I love them. So this last week, I, had a, I met, messed up an appointment, and so I, was, um, I found myself with an extra hour in downtown Crossing. So I was sitting by Nero Cafe, and I was thinking about the message and writing down some notes, and I thought, wait a second, I should just stop and pay attention to the people around me and see what I would notice. Because that's what Jesus does. He goes into crowds and he just sees what he can notice. And it was fascinating. Um, the, an African-American guy, guessing 75, 80 years old, was just cool. He had a hat and he had a cane, and he sat down at the table next to me, and we chatted just a little bit. And and when he got up to leave, he he said, I wrote it down because I just thought it was so cool. He said, I'm going to shove off now. You have a good life. (laughs) And the pregnant Asian woman, the, like, four-year-old little boy who was trying not to run too far ahead of the stroller with his mom, um, the, the African-American lady whose dress was the exact same color as her telephone. And I thought, does she change her phone every day? Um, and it was, and I watched scores of people go by in that hour. Not a single duplicate. Every single one was absolutely unique in how God had... Even if identical twins had walked by, they wouldn't have been duplicates. And I just marveled at the glory that God has created in every human person. So I want to encourage you, if you want to learn to be attentive to people, just go to the Boston Commons or or Downtown Crossing or your your, um, school cafeteria or just go someplace and watch and try to pick out what you can notice with the eyes of Jesus about the people around you. So at one point, um, I was... I was actually trying to figure out, okay, is this an old guy thing, right? I'm in my 60s, so this is why I'm doing it. And I thought about that, and I thought, wait a second. Jesus, the one who modeled this kind of attentiveness to people? Guys, you realize almost everything we know about Jesus, he was closer to your ages than he was to my age. Jesus was a single emerging adult man in his late 20s, and we watch him with that kind of attentiveness. This is our model. This is the model that you have. You realize all of the the interactions that Jesus has, he's about your age when he's having them. So when I was in Downtown Crossing, I remembered being in Louisville, um, Kentucky, in the end of January. I was there for a denominational meeting, and I was actually walking through the downtown um, part of Louisville, um, and, and I was thinking, is this experiment really from you, God, or, you know, is it, or is it just something that I'm playing with and that's going to come and go? And as I was walking along, I came across this plaque that was right at one of the crossroads right in downtown um, Louisville. Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk who lived in the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky. And look at what this plaque says. I'll read it to you. Merton had a sudden insight at this corner... March 18, 1958, that led him to redefine his monastic identity with greater involvement in social justice issues. He was, this is his quotes, suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people. He found them walking around shining like the sun. When we are attentive to people, With the eyes of Jesus, we will be hit with realizations that we love these people. And we will be somewhat awed about their unique glory as they shine like the sun. This is a habit not of evangelism, but of missional living. So Ken Geyer is a spiritual writer about my age. He writes this He says, We have seen, or we have big things. And we know big things, but we don't look into each other's eyes. We're starved for a life that not only senses the sacred in the world, but savors it. We are famished for experiences that are real and relationships that are deep. Will you commit to develop the missional habit of attentiveness, like Jesus to people. All right, the third thing that I see Jesus modeling for us in this, this episode with Zacchaeus is that Jesus was active to engage. Jesus didn't just watch and see what was going on. He didn't just walk through Jericho to get, his, you know, get to Jerusalem and the other things. He was active to engage. We read that um, when he came to the place where, where the sycamore tree was, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. That's pretty bold. Basically he invited himself over to dinner. I always think of what did Mrs. Zacchaeus think about that because when Jesus shows up, it's like this whole mob is gonna come with him, right? But Jesus takes the bowl and he and he invites. Himself over to Zacchaeus's house. And it's interesting, the, the actual words um, stay at your house today in verse 5, received him joyfully in verse 6. One commentator puts it like this He says, These are unmistakable references to hospitality. This signifies, from Jesus' point of view, that he hopes, in the context of a shared meal, to forge a relationship with Zacchaeus in which the unifying dynamic is the good news of the kingdom. Jesus models for us, not just here, but other places in the Gospels as well, missional meals, eating together as a way to create a space for the Spirit to work. We read Jesus doing it with Matthew, another tax collector, with Simon the leper. He eats at at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He's at the wedding at Cana. At the Passover meal in the upper room with him again, over a meal, having significant spiritual conversations. And to this day, Revelation three twenty, Jesus extends an invitation with the imagery of a meal. And Revelation three twenty he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, Jesus says, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. There is a sacred space that can form around shared meals when Jesus is part of it. So I'd like to encourage you um, to develop a missional habit or rhythm in your life of sharing at least one meal a week with somebody whose spiritual story you don't know. I mean, you're going to eat 21 times a week, so it's not like you have to figure out some way to tuck this into your life. Just take one of them, with somebody whose spiritual story you don't know or that you want to get to explore a little bit more deeply. Um, it's not just the food, though, right? You know that. Um, so in your community groups this week, one you've got a number of things, but one of the exercises that I've written in for that is for your community group to brainstorm horrible questions to ask to shut down conversation. I just want you to have fun coming up with what are the worst questions you can think of to just stop everything from moving forward. And then I ask you to do the flip of that. Brainstorm some really good questions and figure out why they're good questions. It's interesting. um, Somebody did, did the count, and they found that Jesus only answered three questions in the Gospels, and he asked 327 questions. So this whole thing of learning how to ask questions to engage, most of them at first have nothing to do with anything spiritual. It's just getting to know this person's life and heart as a missional habit. It's interesting that Jesus lived in a broken world as much as we live in a broken world. And it fascinates me that Jesus thought it was worth engaging with one person at a time over a meal to transform the entire world. Um, Michael Frost um, writes about missional habits and he says, The invitation to share a table is profoundly meaningful in every culture. You won't need to add a great deal into your often already busy schedule. You already eat three times a day. The meal could be an elaborate dinner party, or it could be breakfast, or even just coffee and a donut. Just sit across a table from people each week and talk. The table is the great equalizer in relationships. When we eat together, we discover the inherent humanity of all people. We share stories and hopes, and fears, and disappointments. People open up to each other, and we can open up to them to share the same things, including maybe one day our faith in Jesus. And then Alan Hirsch and Lance Ford say this in in their book right here, right now, sharing meals is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom. And then they ask, how might our world be different if every week every Christian had a meal with one person whose story they didn't yet know? Um, It's very clear with Zacchaeus something really significant went on in conversation. We don't know what it is. We weren't there. We don't have that transcribed. But at the end of the meal, Zacchaeus stands up and he says, I'm going to give half of everything. Imagine you doing that. Half of everything you own, you're going to say, I'm going to give that to the poor. And then anyone, Zacchaeus said that I have defrauded four times what I stole from them, I'm going to give back to them. You and I are going to meet Zacchaeus in heaven one day because Jesus had a meal with him. Because Jesus was active to engage him. And don't miss something else here. As a result of Jesus having that meal with Zacchaeus, compassion and justice was advanced in the city of Jericho. Don't underestimate the power of a shared meal. So Jesus models for us, be available to God, be attentive to people, be active to engage. The third thing that I see Jesus modeling for us here is to be addicted to seek. Be addicted to seek. When the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with a sinner, they grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Jesus, after he says salvation has come to this house since he, Zacchaeus, also is a son of Abraham, Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was utterly addicted. He was compelled. He couldn't stop from seeking after and pursuing people that were far from God. One day, long, 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 long time ago, um, somebody heard the voice of Jesus. Maybe they even heard the voice of Jesus say to Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to have dinner with you. And that somebody heard the voice of Jesus and became a follower of Jesus. And then they sought out somebody else who then became a follower of Jesus themselves. And then that third generation at some point, you know, centuries ago, they, talked, they sought out somebody else who came to become a follower of Christ and somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. And generation after generation through the Middle Ages, through the, the, um, the Enlightenment, through the Industrial Age, through the Modern Age and through the po- Postmodern Age, somebody along that line who was going to come to meet you and know you one day was talked to by somebody who had become a follower of Jesus. And then that person who was going to come to know you sought you out so that they could introduce you to Jesus, so that you would learn what it was, was to be available to God, to be attentive to people, so that you would learn what it was, was to be active, to engage, so that you would learn what it was to be ad- addicted, to seek, to save the lost. Generation after generation after generation for centuries and centuries, and now it's our turn. Who will be in heaven? Who might be in heaven because you decided to develop missional rhythms because you decided to invite somebody to a meal? What compassion and justice might be unleashed because you had a missional meal with somebody who doesn't even know or care that you love Jesus, but they appreciate that you care about Them. Now it's our turn. Will you develop these missional rhythms in your life, so that when we finish this series, it's not just gone by, but that this is woven into the rest of your lives, daily and weekly and monthly habits. Um, Some of you may have seen this video clip before. He's not talking exactly about bless. Um, the acronym that he talks about is BELLS. Written, actually, people who came up with this BLESS curriculum were also involved in this other one. But I just loved how he talked about missional habits and rhythms. So take a look, and then um Myung will come back and lead us in our closing worship.
1: I grew up with the stereotypical concept of missional. Super spiritual people on more literal mission fields. A like picture rice fields in Cambodia, Malawi or Thailand. Pictures with prayer points on fridges or nightstands. Or on a pinboard at church. The collage of cold ones. Now don't misread me. These missions are heroes. But our vision of mission has to include here. So let's practice some habits that repeat each week. Because behavior often precedes belief. First, bless. Be blessed to bless. View your neighbors as more and yourself as less. Give your best to those you think deserve much less. Invest less in your best, your success, your interests. Be for others before you address your own stress. From getting dressed in your nest to punching zeds in your bed, may your thoughts be stretched into patterns that gather into love that's expressed. Eat three meals from 21 in the company of anyone, over pizza, pastries, taco, nachos, pasta, laksa, lentils, vegetables in cafes, coffee shops, lunch rooms, lounge rooms. Take note of the places where Jesus spent time and the ordinary faces with whom he dined. You don't have to find time to do something we all have to do to survive. Come to see hospitality not just as an industry, but an invitation to draw us together spiritually. Communion is not tiny cups and grape juice. It's the sacred sharing of love and grace through coming together with hopes to get fed. People tend to get open over broken bread. Listen. Take your cupped hands off your ears and hear the Spirit draw near and be still so you can be filled with the counsel of the counsellor, the words of the author, the notes of the conductor, the peace of the peacemaker. If all you can hear are emails, texts and detached details of what's past or what's next, you need to detach, unplug, slow your breath down until your prayers are conversations and not just sound. Learn The way of Christ. Don't just look to the book for tokenistic advice. Don't pick, choose, and chop it into neat messages. Sit with the parts that offend your preferences. Look at the way Jesus lived his life. Let the gospels invade your day and your night. Tattoo these stories onto day-to-day living. So people might ask why your life looks different. And it's not just because your senses box said Christian but because Christ is your vision and every decision relies on his wisdom. And be sent. You are meant to be a sent one, a proclamation of redemption. Upon inspection, your life should point to resurrection. You can be a sent one because the sun was sent. Son, to stop the sun setting on the sent ones. That's a bit of wordplay, but don't just hear what the words say. Engage with the word, pray, and do what the words say. If, like me, you grow up with a narrow, stereotypical concept of missional, perhaps it's time we started taking Jesus' words as literal.
0: One of the reasons that I love missional habits is we can do this. This can become part of us. And we also know, by the way, that we do this best in community. So the whole purpose of our 4th of July picnic this year is that we might all invite friends to have a meal with all of these other followers of Jesus. We're not going to do a sermon. We're not going to do um, any songs. We just want to have a party with people who are far from Jesus so that they might just have a chance to come one step closer. So be thinking now of who you would invite for for July 4th. And can I encourage you? Decide today who you're going to have a meal with this week to just hear their story. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have clearly told us at Cornerstone that we are to be a church without walls that invites others in to experience the love of Jesus. But we know we can't do that in a detached, disconnected kind of pasting something over onto our lives we know that we need to do that interwoven and integrated into our individual lives and into our community so even as we just sang open up our eyes in wonder to people who you love so desperately and lead us in your love to those around us Lord Jesus, would you help us to, like you, be available to God, be attentive to people, be active to engage, and be addicted to seek. And now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Go on your mission.